0: Well, let me offer Maya a good morning and greeting. Glad you guys are here this today. We are uh, in part four of our five-part series called The Cure for the Uncommon Life. And uh, if you have your Bible, you might want to open up to Luke chapter 14, Luke the 14th chapter. We'll get there in just a bit. And I mention this uh, on a regular basis. If you forgot your Bible or if you don't have one, we usually have them in the racks along the wall. You feel free to grab one. If you don't have a Bible, take it home as our gift to you. Uh, We're continuing today, like I said, in a series that we've been in now for a while. Next week we'll wrap it up, and then in August we're going to move into a relationship series, which which I'm excited about. But today I'm going to talk about uh, the way that you can live an uncommon life by embracing, here that it's ready, sacrifice. Sacrifice. Now, if you just rolled your eyes and said, man, I knew I should have stayed home today, uh, you're thinking, boy, he's just going to talk about money. Uh, You're wrong. I'm going to cover today a lot more than just money. Um, Sacrifice involves everything and you're going to hear that word everything an awful lot but here's my belief a radical uncommon life of following Jesus is one where you embrace a spiritual paradox and here's the first little thing i want you to walk away with today to get more out of life you must give more of your life the spiritual paradox is to get more out of life you need to give more of your life and giving involves everything now if we we're honest most of us admire the noble sacrifices of others. We recognize that uh, great men and women have made great sacrifices, and uh, we we ad- ad- admire them. We acknowledge their sacrifices. But we, and I include me in that we, we get a bit nervous when challenged to make personal sacrifices for God or for others. But it is absolutely true. To get more out of life, you must give more of your life. That is a spiritual truth. To get more, you've got to give more of your life to God in the kingdom. In other words, To experience an extraordinary life, it's discovered as we choose. And the key word there is choose. No one can make you do this. If I could make you do it, it would last for about a day, maybe a week, or as soon as I took my eyes off you or somebody else stopped watching you, you would stop doing this. We choose to surrender all to the one who surrendered his all for us. When we make that choice of sacrifice, selfless sacrifice for the kingdom, that's a huge part of what it means to live this uncommon, extraordinary life as a follower of Jesus. Now, we'll get to Luke 14 in just a minute, but I want to read you a passage from Luke 9. And I'm going to give you a few passages today today that Jesus uses, because I want you to understand he didn't just talk about this once, but it's a consistent theme in what Jesus taught us. Luke 9, 23 and 25, here's what Jesus said Whoever wants to be my disciple, must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, if you want to be a disciple of mine, then you need to take up your cross daily and follow me. And by the way, for the Jewish, predominantly Jewish crowd that would have heard Jesus uh, say this, they lived in a the world where Rome occupied Jerusalem occupied Israel and when they hear the word cross or take up your cross the images are hor- horrific and and and, str- and a struggle for them and for Jesus to use this would have been like oh, what did he say take up my cross that's a, you got to be kidding me but Jesus said if you want to follow me that's what you got to do and do it daily verse 24 of Luke 9 for whoever wants to save their life will lose it but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Do you see the spiritual paradox there? Jesus said whoever wants to save their life, if you want to save it, then you let it go. You lose it. But whoever loses their life for me, the truth is you actually save it. In verse 25 of Luke 9, what good is it for someone to say to gain the whole world and yet to forfeit or lose their very soul? Jesus said this. It wasn't me. I didn't come up with this idea. He did. That to follow him as a Christ follower is a path of denial, suffering, and sacrifice. And it's not something we hear a lot about in our Western culture anymore. But to follow Jesus, to be a a Christian, to be a disciple of His means that we live a life of denial, suffering, and sacrifice. And for some of us, that just seems stupid. Why would I do that? And if you're investing in Christianity, I'm glad you're here today. But you might be thinking, are you kidding me? That's what it means to follow Christ? Yes, it does. But for even some of us who have been walking with him for a while, there's this part of us that goes, why would I go there? Why would I do it? That just seems stupid. In fact, we might throw following Jesus with that kind of sacrifice in the same category we throw these people who did some pretty stupid things. Watch this. Sure, that was going to end in a face. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my stupid is as stupid does. And uh, we see people do really dumb things like that, and we get, get hurt, see, see them get hurt, and uh, we think to ourselves, man, why would I want to do that? And then when Kurt says to live a life of Christ is a sacrifice, some of us think, well, that's just stupid. But the truth is, following Jesus as a disciple of his will hurt sometimes, but there's nothing foolish about it, nothing stupid about it at all. In fact, intuitively, we already know that for anything great to be accomplished great sacrifice has to be made. We, we get this. We look at history. We look at people around us. Martin Luther King Jr. sacrificed his life for the cause of equal rights. Uh, Mother Teresa sacrificed her life for the poor. Uh, Nelson Mandela sacrificed 27 years in prison to bring freedom to his country. And hundreds of thousands of soldiers have sacrificed their lives for our freedom. We get this principle. We know that great sacrifice often is is required for something great and awesome to happen. And we all have friends or family members or parents, people we know, who have personally inspired us by their sacrificial giving. And we thought, wow, that's pretty amazing that they would do that for someone or do that for others. My brother Kevin, as most of you know, he and his wife Catherine, are missionaries in Mozambique, Africa. Mozambique's a small country just north of South Africa and on the southeast corner of the African continent. And my brother, Kevin, and his wife, they they, uh, sold their home. They sold everything. And they moved to a village into a small part of Mozambique. And they live in a a house that Kevin built. It's smaller than the stage. It could fit up here on this stage. Uh, For them to have uh, heated water or power... Requires sunlight to heat their solar panels, and when it rains, or they don't have enough light, then they take cold showers. They don't have a TV. They've given up so many things. They've sacrificed so much. They're thousands of miles, half a world, a world away from their own children. But here's the deal. The sacrifice that they have made is making an eternal difference in the lives of people around them, in the lives of many who've never heard the gospel. I want to show you a picture of my brother and a young man named Jafar. By the way, my brother's the one on the left. Um, Kevin looks a lot like me. You may have noticed that. He has this hat on that says, live simply. And it's from a phrase, live simply so that others might simply live. And and I love my brother. I'm proud of him. But Jafar is a young man that he led to the Lord. He was Muslim. He was an alcoholic. He was a drug addict. Far from God. And Jesus invaded this young man's life and radically transformed him. And my brother and his wife, Catherine, are ones that do that and make that a difference in people's lives every day. But they've sacrificed so much. Now, our heroes um, are far from perfect. Uh, If you've read uh, The Life of Martin Luther King, Jr., you know that his life was far from perfect. And um, I know my brother Kevin. His life is far from perfect. And if you ask him, he would say my life. His brother is far from perfect as well. But people like that have made extraordinary impact because they've lived uncommon lives of sacrifice for the benefit of others. Now, we don't all have to go to Africa. Africa. So, some of you need to take a breath right now. You're really freaking out. That's not what I'm talking about. We don't all have to do that, but here's what we do we all share a call to an uncommon life of sacrifice, an uncommon life, an extraordinary life that will cost us. And I think the big question that we wrestle with, and I know it's one that I've wrestled with from time to time, is what are we unwilling to surrender to God? What dream, possession, relationship, resource, what do we have that we've declared off limits to God? God, I'll love you, but don't go there. I'll surrender everything but this. What part of us have we held on to that we are afraid to surrender to God, that we've told God, no, that's off limits for you. To follow Jesus means we surrender all. To live the extraordinary life requires a complete surrender to him. Jesus uh, gave this call the discipleship that I had you turn to Luke 14. Let's pick it up in verse 25. Luke 14:25. Jesus says, Lord, crowds were traveling, traveling with him. And turning to them, he said this. So there's a lot of people, hundreds, maybe thousands of people. And Jesus turns to this crowd. And here's what he said, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Verse 28, suppose one of you builds a tower. Won't you first sit down to estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation, you're not able to finish it. Everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying that person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Now the tower Jesus is referring to here we don't typically build towers anymore. But in that day, and I've seen these towers in Israel, there, there were towers maybe 8 to 15 feet high that were built uh, just in, outside of vineyards to keep an eye on a vineyard, to keep you know, people from out and, and uh, critters out. And so it's a tower built for protection. And Jesus said, somebody's going to build a tower, they're going to count the cost. Verse 31, or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to pose the one coming against him with 20,000. If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. So the second illustration Jesus gives is about a guy, a king going to war. And again, he's going to consider, I've got 10,000 guys, can I defeat that guy with 20,000? And he counts the cost. And here's where Jesus connects the dots. Verse 33, in the same way. Those of you who do not give up everything, there's that word again, Those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Jesus uses some common illustrations, a king going to war, uh, a person building a tower, and his point is, if you're going to do either one of those, you're going to count the cost. And in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, count the cost, cannot be my disciples. Verse 34, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness... How can it be made uh, salty again? It is neither fit for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. And then Jesus says, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, if these words don't bother you just a little bit, um, then you're not listening. You're not paying attention because they ought to disturb us. And Jesus challenged the hearers then, and he challenges us now. Let him who has ears to hear, hear. Listen to the words of Jesus. The first thing I find here that intrigues me about what Jesus does is that he didn't cater to the large crowds. He didn't teach things that were typically easy to hear. He challenged people all the time. I'm not going to mention any names, but part of my fear about some mega church pastors in our Western culture is that we don't like to preach the hard things that we stand and we tell people all sorts of things that they want to hear that will make them feel all warm and fuzzy. And it's hard to say the hard things, but Jesus never was afraid to rock the boat. He wasn't worried about losing his popularity. He was brutally honest with people, and he told them, this is what it means to follow me. Now, listen, if you're investigating Christianity, if you're not yet a Christ follower, I want you to hear a couple things. One is I'm really glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you are part of this service today and that you're investigating Christianity. And I want to promise you, you'll never be forced in anything. You'll never be manipulated around here. This is a safe place for you to discover grace. And what we, we hope, our prayer is that you'll see the love of God in us, that you'll see the, the, the life of Jesus in us, that you'll see that we're not perfect, but that we're perfectly loved by the Father, and that that will draw you to him. And you'll say, well, if I could be like that, if I could have that, then I want that in my life. That's our hope and our prayer for you. But I would be remiss. I would, I would not I would be faithful to my call as a pastor if I didn't do what Jesus did and spell it out for you that to follow him is gonna cost you. It means a lot. You have to surrender everything. Jesus starts with this statement about hating our families. It just seems ludicrous. How can the Lord of love tell us to hate someone? Well, and listen carefully. Jesus is using here a Jewish idiom to make his point clear. And his point is that hating is an expression that means to love less. As it's used here, the word hate does not mean uh, literally mean that we despise or detest the people around us. But it does mean that no one comes close in comparison to our love for Jesus. What Jesus is saying and what he's making painfully clear here is that if we are to follow him it requires that he has first place in our hearts. He is first, foremost and above all others. And so Jesus uses this word hate figuratively, not literally meaning to test or abuse them, but figuratively to define a priority of relationship where we love Him, we love God first and foremost. Now, if you're a thinking person, and I hope you are, perhaps you've wrestled with something that I have from time to time. Why? Why does Jesus, if He's God, why does He demand that I love Him? I mean, is He some kind of insecure narcissist? Does he have the problem that, you know, if he doesn't get my love that he's going to have, have a bad day? I mean, what's the point? Why does he demand that we love him above all? Well, I'm going to give you two reasons, and they're, they're two of the, the most powerful. There are others, but here's the main two reasons why Jesus calls us to love him first and foremost. The first is that God knows that when we love him most, we're at our best. Let me say that again. God knows that when we love Him most, that's when you and I are at our best. We were created to be in relationship with the Father. When we're not in relationship with Him, when we're running from Him or far from God, that's when things just don't sync up in our life. That's when we, there's no potential way that we're going to experience the destiny that He has for us. That's eternal, not just this life, not just temporary. And God knows that we, when we love him most, that's when you and I have the potential to be our best, and he wants you to experience the best. It's not because he's insecure. It's because he wants you to have everything, to know everything that he has planned for you. And that only happens when this uncommon, extraordinary life only happens when we love him first and foremost. We are at our best when we love him most. Here's the second reason why. God knows that people around us will fail us. They'll let us down. And if we love them more than we love God, then when people fail us, we get bitter, we get filled with hatred, we get frustrated, disappointed, discouraged, depressed. We we lose our ability to passionately follow him because we're so disturbed by the fact that this person around us that we love more than him failed us. And that's why God says, no, don't love them more because I will never fail you. God wants us to love him first because that sustains us through the difficulties that we have in relationships and because it helps to become the best person that we can become. I have a good Christian friend who walked away from God many years ago. And uh, the story's kind of long, but I'll give you the short version. Uh, His wife was a Christ follower. He wasn't. Uh, He became a Christian. Uh, God began to do some amazing things in his life. Uh, They both were excited about what Jesus was doing. And a few years later, uh, his wife uh, had an affair, actually had an affair with the uh, the elder in the church that they attended. And my friend became very bitter about that and, in fact, rejected God, rejected, you know, the church because it was an elder in the church that his wife cheated on and left him for. And now, the one question I have is, why do we blame God for the stupidity of people? You know, why why do we... always have a tendency to, we want to blame him for the fact that somebody made a poor, stupid choice. I don't get that. But what I do understand is that my friend walked away from God because he loved his wife more than he loved God. When she failed him, he failed Jesus. He said, I'm done. But if he had loved Jesus, first and foremost, more than anything, above all other relationships, that's why Jesus says, love me first, because people fail. People let us down. Spouses fail. Kids fail. Parents fail. Pastors fail. We all do. But the one that we are to love the most will never and has never failed us. And so here's another little takeaway I want for you today. I want you to leave here with is to live the uncommon and abundant life of adventure Jesus promised requires uncommon love for him. This whole series, we've been talking about living an extraordinary, amazing, abundant life, an uncommon life, and A huge part of that is loving him with this uncommon love. Jesus goes on in his teaching in verse 28 to 32 about the, the two examples, the tower and the king. And the simple point between these two illustrations is that we are to count the cost of being a disciple. And again, the point is it will cost you time, energy, and money to build a tower or to go to war. And it will cost you to follow Jesus. That's why he says in verse 33 in the same way, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, there you know that word is, everything, you cannot be my disciples. Jesus is warning them to enter into relationship with him as a follower and, and, and who counts the cost, considering the price of discipleship, and the price is everything, everything. You know, I, I say it all the time around here, and I, I know there's some confusion at times. When we talk about this, because some of us go, "Well, then, do I have to earn my salvation?" Let me make this perfectly clear: we can never be good enough to earn our salvation. We could be. There's nothing we can do to make God love us any more or less than He already does. Grace, salvation, mercy, God's forgiveness is a free gift from Him. Period. End of story. You can never earn your way to heaven, but. And this is an important understanding that I think is missed in way too many church circles. It will cost you everything to live the uncommon and extraordinary life of a follower. We have everything we need. He's given us the the eternal life and he's given us relationship and forgiveness of every sin, past, present, and future. We have that as a free gift from God. But the life of a follower, a disciple, one who follows after him, It's a life of self-denial, sacrifice, and selflessness. It's a life that will cost us everything. And in this passage in Luke 14, Jesus is not only demanding first place in our hearts, and that's clear here and consistently in the New Testament, but he expects us to reprioritize our entire value system around the kingdom. In the context of talking about earthly treasures and possessions and even provision for our needs... Jesus addresses these things in Matthew chapter 6. I don't have the time to unpack that this morning, but I will tell you that chapter is another very challenging, very challenging passage where Jesus uh, says, you know, listen, I, don't store up treasures on, on, on earth where moth and rust can eat them and destroy them, but store up treasures in heaven. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about things. And then he says this in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all that stuff, all these things that you worry about, God will take care of. Again, clearly, Jesus says, I know what life consists of. I know the way this world thinks. I know the goal, the materialism. It was true then, it's true now. But Jesus said, I want you to put me first. Seek first the kingdom of God. It's not the kingdom of Kurt first, it's the kingdom of God. We seek him first and above all. When Jesus was in the temple with his disciples, there's a story found in Mark chapter 12, and I'm just going to read it to you. It's a few verses: Mark 12: 41 to 44. But it illustrates again this teaching of Jesus. In verse 41 of uh, Mark 12, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Yes, Jesus is watching what you put into the bucket, and that's that's what he's doing here. Many rich people threw in large amounts; they money bags were been d- dropped by these people who had a lot. Verse 42. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. So these fat cats are walking in and dropping all this money in and they're probably making big fanfare about it fanfare about it and making sure everybody knows. But this poor widow comes and drops in two copper coins worth just a couple of pennies. Verse 43. Calling his disciples to him. Jesus says, guys, come here. Get over here. Quick. Come here. Come here. Come here. And he says, see that poor widow? He says, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything. There's that stinking word again. Everything. All she had to live on. Whenever Jesus says, truly, it's like, He's really trying to underline. If, if you had a yellow highlighter, that's what Jesus is doing. Guys, I want you, truly, I'm telling you that this poor widow put in more than everybody else. Why? Because of the sacrifice. See, with God, it's not the size of the gift that matters. It's the size of the sacrifice. Like it or not, and we tend not to like it, Jesus always applauds sacrifice. Always. He always applauds selflessness. Jesus applauds self-denial. Self-denial that's the way of the kingdom. A very successful middle-aged man named Bill came to me once, and I had been, um, through a business relationship, introduced to this guy, got to know him. We'd had coffee quite a few times, and he was not yet a Christ follower. And he'd ask me some really good questions. This, I love this guy. He, w- he would ask me stuff that many of you wondered about. And, and he was reading the New Testament, and, and he was asking me, what does this mean? And, and what does that mean? And, and they'd ask me other tough questions, like, you know, if Christians are, you know, so great, why are they so stupid? And I'd have to answer questions like, well, because we're not perfect yet. And, you know, we, we just had these wonderful conversations. But Bill got this close to becoming a Christ follower, and he says, I got one more question for you. I said, what? He says, what's it going to cost me? And I remember Bill's a businessman bottom line sort of guy. What's it going to cost me to follow Jesus? What am I going to have to give up? And I smiled, and I, I will never forget that moment, sitting at a Starbucks in Portland, Oregon. I said, Bill, it's going to cost you everything, buddy. Everything. Now, to his credit, he got it. And he realized that though he was surrendering all, that what he was gaining in the process was far more. The fact that giving everything flies in the face of our Materialistic and self-centered culture doesn't make it easy to preach this or easy to hear. I know that. But here's the next little gem I want you to walk away with. To live an uncommon life of faith requires uncommon surrender of all our time, energy, and money to God. To live an uncommon life, an extraordinary life, to discover the destiny that God has for you. And by the way, if you're a Christ follower, you definitely, I hope you're beginning to experience and know the destiny that he has for you. If you're not yet a Christ follower, I'm here to tell you today, he's got a plan for you too. And it's not, again, maybe to go to Africa, that that might not be in, in, in the plan for you, but God has a specific, unique, awesome, wonderful plan designed for you. And the way we discover that, the way we engage in that, the way we experience that, the way we experience the adventure of following Him happens right here. I can't make it any clearer. It happens through selfless sacrifice, self-denial. We surrender to God. To live an uncommon life of faith requires uncommon surrender of everything to Him. You see, here's the deal. I belong to Jesus. And if you have surrendered your life to Him, you do too. Everything we have is because of him. I belong to him, and I will do whatever he asks me to do because he is Lord and I am not. Why? Well, because that's the life of a disciple. But it's also the pathway to more adventure than you could ever imagine. I've been walking with Jesus for a long time, over 40 years. Walked away for a brief period in my 20s, but... From the time I was about 15 years old till now, I've been a Christ follower. And I can tell you, in fact, it's the second book I'm working on right now called Epic Life. I could tell you story after story after story of adventure and uncommon joy I've experienced because I've tried to live this life, because I've tried to live a life, an extraordinary life, a surrender to God. And I'm not special. Oh, no, I'm not he, he's got the same plan for you. And surrendering everything is the path to experiencing everything that he has for us. Now, part of our struggle, and let's just be honest again, part of our struggle in surrendering is that we're afraid, we're afraid that we'll end up with nothing. Well, God, if I give up everything, what am I going to have to live on? What about me? I mean, I know that's part of our struggle. And I'm going to answer that question this way, the way Jesus did. Now, I cannot and I will not promise you material prosperity. God may choose to bless you financially and materially, and that's up to him. I'm not going to I don't believe in the prosperity teaching, the prosperity doctrine that's promoted by some church circles. I look at the life of Jesus, and he lived in denial and sacrifice, and didn't. He said, "Son of Man doesn't even have a home to call his home." And so, I find it difficult to to, to try and manipulate you into being a surrenderer and a giver with a promise that if you do give ten bucks to God, He'll give you a thousand. I just I can't do that. But what I can promise you is what Jesus promised, what He said, Matthew nineteen twenty nine. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you already know that eternal life is way better than all that stuff? The promise, Jesus, is, you know, I know you're surrendering stuff now, but man, the bigger picture. Zoom out and see what you gain. Luke 6, 38, Jesus again spoke these words. Give and it will be given to you. And was he talking about money? Sure, but way more than that. (laughs) Way more than just dropping a check on the offering plate. Give your life, give your time, give your energy. Give everything you have, everything you are. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down and shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Use a small cup to measure out from your life. You get a small cup in return. Use a large cup but empty yourself, and you gain everything of value. So what's the bottom line? Well, God wants everything. He wants everything. But in exchange, he gives us everything we truly need. Everything. Discipleship of Jesus is a very serious business, and we take it seriously around here at East Point. We've got a pastor of discipleship, Jeff Kennedy, for this very reason. We challenge you on a regular basis. Attend our classes. Go, you know, get involved in service. Serve here. Find ways to to give away what God's given you because we take this seriously because Jesus took it very seriously. And successful discipleship requires that God be first and foremost in your life, that you count the cost, and that you surrender everything, that you come to God on his terms, not yours. And again, the promise is, and this is what I want to leave you with, when we do, we experience the uncommon life adventure that changes us. It changes us for the better, and it changes everything and everyone around us. Hundreds of times, and I'm not exaggerating, hundreds of times I've prayed through this room, I've laid in my bed at night, and I've thought this, this, this thought, this has been on my lips. God, what might you do with a thousand or more East Pointers? Who live a sold out life for the kingdom? What could God do in this city and beyond with a thousand plus adults? And we've easily got that in our church. With a thousand people say, I'm in, I surrender all, I will give it up for the sake of the kingdom. What might God do with you and with us? Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you that you challenged people then, you challenged people now that you invite us into this life of surrender, of self-denial, of sacrifice, because that is the life to adventure, to joy, to fulfillment. That's the life that you've called us to. And Jesus, I know that some of us wrestle with stuff, with things, with, with possessions, with resources, with relationships that we don't, we, we want to love you, but we don't want you to go there. We, we don't want to let that go. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do what I cannot do this morning. Would you go into the hearts of every man and woman here this morning, every person listening online, would you go to our hearts and reveal whatever area in us that we need to say yes to you, that we need to surrender to you, that we need to give up. And would you show us today, again, Lord, your word is so true, would you show us that when we do, we we can never outgive you, God. That you will pour out your life into us and its eternal life that will matter billions of years from now. Give us that picture. Give us that belief. Change our hearts right now. I pray. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe you're here today, and you've not yet started your life as a Christ follower, and you've heard what I said today that. It, the gift of God's grace is a free gift. You can never do anything to earn it. And yet, you perhaps for the first time understand, but it means I surrender all to Him. He surrendered His all for me. I surrender my all to Him. And, and you're ready. You just know in your gut, you know in your knower, that's what I need, that's what I want. I long for that. I know that's the, the path that I need to take so that I can discover the life that I long for. And if that's you today and you want to begin, Your life is a Christ follower. I'm going to pray this simple prayer. They're my words, but make this your choice. Make this your heart's decision right now. Make my prayer yours. Father, forgive me. Thank you for what Jesus did on the cross. Thank you for the sacrifice he paid for me. Thank you for the gift of grace and salvation, the gift of mercy, that I can be changed because of you. And here, right now, I surrender, I surrender my life, my plans, my past, my present, my future, I surrender everything I have, everything I am, I surrender it to you. Because I believe this morning in what you said, Jesus, that that's the path to life, eternal life, and that's what I want. So take my life, Jesus, I belong to you. Now that's your prayer in your own heart to say, yep, God, I need you. Help me. Holy Spirit, now fill me. God, I, I, I know I can't do this without you, so help me, but I do. Just own that prayer and say, yep, God, that's me. And The Bible says the moment you say yes to him, you begin that journey as a Christ follower. And then it's a choice, the daily choice to take up your cross and to follow him. Lord, seal in the hearts of those making that decision right now, what you're doing and what you want to do in and through their lives. But for all of us, challenge us by your spirit to become the men and women that you want us to be so that we can make the difference in our world that you've destined us for. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing a song, one of my favorites. Um, It's kind of a theme song that we've been doing a lot in this series, I Surrender. For some of you who made a decision to become a Christ follower today, you'll be able to sing this for the first time as truth. You've surrendered your life to him. Others, you've been holding on to things. And today... Even singing this song for you can be an act of surrender. Make this your prayer. We're going to give as we worship. For some of you, this is a great practical way to demonstrate your surrender to God. But let's give as we worship. I'll come back and wrap it up. It blesses me to hear you guys behind me singing those words. I surrender. What will it cost you to follow Jesus? Everything. What do you get in return? Everything that really matters everything. If you today begin your life as a Christ follower, I encourage you to tell somebody, let them know. Come, let me know. We want to walk with you. You're not alone in this journey. The back table's uh, by the doors. There's a packet. that says for new believers. It's got a Bible, some material to get you started in your walk with Jesus. Pick one of those up. Sign up for our First Steps class. It's coming up soon. We'll answer a lot of your questions. If you need prayer, prayer, prayer team will be down front to pray with you communion is always available on both sides of the room and uh, maybe some of you today need to take communion as just a reminder of the sacrifice Jesus made for you but I want to finish with one brief thing that a friend of mine posted on Facebook this week in fact it was the day that I was writing uh, this talk for this morning and I read it and I wept because this is a woman who has demonstrated both in her life and in her words the love she has for Jesus let me just read it to you and we're done Though I was in a million tiny little pieces, I was important to you. You put your hand on me and slowly we watched together as I came back to wholeness. Loved and under the power of your presence, I could be the best me I ever imagined. I knew you as a child and yet not fully. You were terrific stories to me but not real. That night I met you, you were so much greater of a reality than I ever dreamed. For me, you were the mother love I never had. And yet how much more mysterious and magnificent. You've never left me. And whenever life fragments me and how it does so often, your hand is always there and your words are always sweet. I've disappointed you, but you never show it. And when I repent from wrong, your arms are always open wide. You are the only one I can say the words never and always about, and have it be true. You are always truth, always. You've died for me, so I will live for you. I love you deeply, but only because you have loved me deeper. My prayer for you, and my benediction for you today, is that you'll go and live the life, the uncommon life of love and sacrifice that Jesus called you to, so that you'll experience the adventure he has planned for you. Love you guys. God bless you. Thanks for coming.